Good morning, Wooddale Church. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, huh? Kind of a bummer our team didn't quite make it, you know? A little bit of a letdown, but uh, there's always next year. It's still fun to be the host city for this game, isn't it? I had no idea how big a deal the Super Bowl really was. Have you tried to drive downtown the last two weeks? There's security everywhere, traffic is a mess, and if you are in need of a hotel room, good luck in the city right now. It is just, it's nuts how big a deal the Super Bowl really is. In fact, they're saying that 110 million people are gonna watch the game on TV tonight. And most of those people just for the commercials, right? So, uh, and those commercials are not cheap. It's gonna run $5 million for a 30 second ad on tonight's Super Bowl. Uh, In fact, the Super Bowl is kind of like an economy in and of itself. There's some economists who are saying that about $400 million is gonna come into the state of Minnesota just because we're hosting this one football game that's gonna be played tonight. The Super Bowl is certainly a big deal to fans and to people who just enjoy that social environment, but it is an even bigger deal to those who are gonna play in the game tonight. For those players, this is like the moment that they have been waiting for their entire career. Ever since they started throwing the football in the backyard, they have been dreaming about playing in the Super Bowl. It's all built up to this very moment. In fact, a few years ago, Steve Weatherford, who played in the Super Bowl for the New York Giants, wrote an article in USA Today sharing what it was like as a player to be in that big game. Here's what Steve wrote. He said, while it's a tremendous achievement to have reached the big game and be one of the final two teams left standing, you still feel an incredible amount of pressure to win the game. As a player playing in the game, you understand that by winning the game, the title of Super Bowl champion will forever be attached to your name. Players are not just playing for a game. They're playing tonight for a shot at what they consider to be significance. They're wanting to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. They wanna leave a legacy. They wanna do something that's going to matter. And so they're committed to trying to win the Super Bowl. So all this talk and all this focus on the Super Bowl has got me thinking, okay, so like what's our Super Bowl as a church? Like, well, like what's our big deal? What's our big event? And I thought, well, maybe it's Christmas or Easter, right? I mean, those are times when like everybody shows up to church and it's a big event. It happens once a year. We put it on the calendar. Everybody's looking forward to it. And, and those are certainly important events, important days, but that's not really our Super Bowl. That's not what's going to leave a sense of legacy or, or lead us into significance. When it comes to the church, our Super Bowl is discipleship. Now, we've been talking about discipleship all throughout this series. Discipleship is just a church word for what it really means to follow after Jesus. And so today, we're gonna have an opportunity to look at some real practical guidance for how you and I can get into the discipling game. So because this is our Super Bowl, we kind of have that theme going on here in the message. So I actually have my, my, uh, my Wooddale team apparel on. I thought that was appropriate for today's message. And uh, I've got a chalkboard. We're gonna go through some of the keys to the game so we understand uh, what it is that we need to accomplish. Now, tonight in the game, uh, those players are going to, uh, to, to look in to try to win the game. And they know exactly how to win the game. They know how the scores are, are done. And for them, if I just score more points or we score more points than the opponent, we're gonna win. So that's their goal. But when it comes to discipleship, what's our win? Like, how do we know if we're winning when it comes to this idea of discipleship? Well, 
the, the, the heart of discipleship is actually the heart of this church. And Pastor Dale has been talking about that as we've been going throughout this series. And discipleship is, is really what we base the mission of the church on. Wooddale Church exists for discipleship. In fact, our mission as a church kind of echoes words that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. And that's that we here at Wooddale are, are to honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. And so that's our win. Our win is to be disciples who make other disciples. And so in this series, we've said that that means that we need to be one and we need to make one. So you can follow along if you want in your service handout. We have a spot for you to make some notes and uh, no pressure, but I had an eight-year-old that came up after our first service and handed me his notes. So uh, I don't want you to be stood up by an eight-year-old. So, um, but be one and make one. That's what it is. We wanna be disciples who go and make other disciples. Well, that, that kind of gives us a question. That, okay, well, what's a disciple? How are we defining disciple? And Pastor Dale began this series with a message that walked us through the three foundational issues or the three core elements of what it means to be a disciple. That comes from another passage in scripture found in Matthew 4:19, where Jesus says, come follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. We said there's the three elements of discipleship are in there. The first is that we're following Jesus, actively following Jesus. And that's the key to being a disciple is that it begins with Jesus. This isn't about being a church person. This isn't about being a religious person. It's not about what we do. It's about following after Jesus and doing what Jesus tells us that we are supposed to do. It's all about him. And then as we're following him, the second element of being a disciple is that we're changed by Jesus and that we're being changed by Jesus. And for me, this is the one that is a little challenging because I would like to think that, that, that God, when I first started my relationship with him, that he did all the work then and kind of changed me and then I'm good. And that's not how it works. It's an ongoing process that he is continually changing us. The longer we follow after Jesus, the more we should look more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. That's that constant state of being changed by him. Then the third element of discipleship or what a disciple is, is the concept of living on mission with Jesus. And that just basically means that we are committed to the mission of Jesus. And that mission is to let more people know about the love that God has for us. So that's our win. That's what it means for us to win in this discipleship environment is for us to be a disciple who makes disciples. And we understand that these are the different elements of discipleship. So that's what we're going after. But we need to understand how we go after that. And so we're gonna spend the rest of this morning looking at how. How do we actually go about being disciples who make other disciples? But before we get into the how, I wanna take a moment, I wanna just step back and ask us the question about why. Why do we do this? Why is this such a big deal for Jesus? Why are you and I called to this concept of being disciples who make other disciples? Last weekend, Pastor Dale kind of reintroduced a topic to us called Adopt Seven. It's the idea that you and I have people in our lives who don't yet know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. They're, they're folks that we might live with. They might be people in our family. They're people that we go to school with. They're people that we work with. They're people who live in our neighborhood. It may be people, we don't even know their names. They just, we see them at the coffee shop or we see them at the gym. But they're people that are in our spheres of influence and they, they don't know about that relationship with God. And the whole idea of Adopt Seven is we want each of us at Wooddale to identify seven of those people within our world. And that we're gonna do three things. We're gonna pray for those people. 
We're, we're going to have opportunities to serve them, try to get to know them, build relationships with them, love them. And then when God provides the opportunity that we'll have the privilege of being able to share with them the hope that we have in Christ. It's just a simple way for us to live on mission with Jesus to kind of be intentional about engaging seven distinct people in our spheres of influence. So to help you with that, last weekend we, uh, we, was we reintroduced this concept of Adopt7, we actually gave one of these to everybody. It was in the service handout. And Pastor Dale really challenged us to, to actually list out our seven. And then Pastor Dale encouraged us to bring this back with us to service today. So if you did, uh, good job for you. I wanna encourage you to pull that out and, uh, and, and take a look at those seven names that are on that list. If you, if you didn't bring yours back, uh, you can go get it. We'll wait for you. And I'm uh, just kidding. Uh, but you can, think, you can think mentally about who those people are. Or if, you, if this is a new concept for you and you need one of these cards, you can grab them at one of our kiosks on the way out. But I want you to be thinking right now about who are those seven people in your spheres of influence, those seven people that don't know that there is a more significant way to live their life. They're still living for themselves. They don't realize that you can live for things that are eternal. There's seven people who don't know what it means to experience the forgiveness that God gives to them the free forgiveness that God gives to them. There's seven people who don't know that God loves them and that God desires to be in a relationship with them and God desires that so much that he died for them. That's how much God cares about them. And there's seven people who have been put in your life so that you can have that opportunity to share the hope with them. So as you look about that list or as you think about who those seven people are, that's why. Those are seven reasons why we need to be disciples who make other disciples. Because those are seven souls, seven people that need to experience God's love and God's grace. And so before we go any further in the message, I think it's appropriate for us just to stop and acknowledge those seven and think about those people. I actually wanna commit them to prayer. Would you join with me for just a moment? Father God, as we think about those seven, Lord, our, our minds are being flooded with who those different individuals are, Lord, people that you've brought into our path. Lord, for some of us, we actually have them listed on that sheet, and for others of us, it's just in our mind. But Father, I pray that you would allow us the opportunity this year to, to earnestly pray for those people, to seek opportunities to serve them. And God, I pray that, that we would all have at least one opportunity to share with one of those people that you're bringing to mind the hope that we have in you. So Lord, they might be able to experience your love, your mercy, and that rest that comes from the hope that you provide to us. And so Father, as we enter into this idea of discipleship, Father, and this, this challenge you've given to us, we commit these individuals to you now. And it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so that's why. So let's talk about how we get in the discipling game. So tonight, when the players are gonna try to go out and win the game, they're gonna consult their playbook for advice and, and instruction on how to best do that. And we as followers of Christ need to look at our playbook as well. So I'm gonna have you turn open to 2 Timothy. There are Bibles in the pew in front of you if you don't have one with you or you don't have one on your electronic device. But either turn it on or turn it open to 2 Timothy. And if you're joining us online, I wanna encourage you to grab your Bible and join us as well. So 2 Timothy, as you're turning there, let me kind of set the stage for you. This is actually a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to his young disciple and mentee, Timothy. And Timothy was a bit of a timid guy. And when you understand the context that Timothy found himself, you might understand why he was a bit timid. He was left to pastor a church in the city of Ephesus. 
Now, Ephesus was a Roman city, and they're really proud of being a Roman city. And it was a city that had this enormous pagan temple in it. It was a pagan temple to the goddess Diana, and it was a temple that was just riddled with sexual immorality. And this temple was massive. It's actually considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. And it just kind of cast a shadow over the entire city of Ephesus. They're really proud of kind of this pagan worship that happened there. And so the, the city, you could understand, was a little hostile to the idea of the gospel. And so to make matters a little more challenging for Timothy, as if that's not enough, uh, he had some problems in the church in Ephesus. There was some false teaching that was going on. In fact, that's why he was in the city of Ephesus, in the church of Ephesus. Paul left him there to kind of clean up some of the false teaching. So it's a pretty challenging ministry environment when you have false teaching you're, you're dealing with inside the church and a really hostile ministry environment outside the church. So you understand why Timothy was in need of a little bit of a halftime speech. And Paul is about ready to give it to him as we look at 2 Timothy. So Paul opens the letter by writing this to Timothy. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. In this passage of scripture we're gonna look at today, we're gonna to see three fundamentals of discipleship, three, three elements that need to exist for discipleship to occur. And the first one we see right away as Paul opens this letter to Timothy. It's all about relationships. Paul is mentioning to Timothy that he longs to see him and he calls him his son. Now we know from other places in scripture that Timothy's dad was Greek, his mother was Jewish. So Paul wasn't his biological father. That's, that's not what he's meaning there. But he's talking about kind of his father in the faith, that he kind of helped him grow, grow up in terms of his faith relationship. And that he is praying for him on a consistent basis and that he, he misses him. He actually wants to see Timothy and mentions to Timothy that he was crying when he left. And I think probably the reason Timothy was crying is because Paul was leaving him in Ephesus by himself. It might cause us to have some tears too. But there was this relationship between the two of them. And Paul's pretty clear that he knows his family. He mentions his mother and his grandmother. And so it's, you can tell that the two of them have a close relationship. And that's the first fundamental when it comes to discipleship, is that discipleship has to involve a relationship. And that relationships are how we're able to grow and connect as disciples. In fact, it's less about what we learn and it's more about from whom we learn it. I mean, think about your own spiritual growth. I've been thinking about mine. It's probably not the curriculum and the content that you've gone through. Now, the truth is important, but it's probably the people that brought you that content that made it so significant and meaningful in your life. I know that's true for me. But for me, it's not the classes that I've taken, the lectures that I've listened to, or the books that I've read, the experiences that I've had. It's been people in my life like Steve, who came alongside me in middle school and said, Kyle, I see some leadership potential in you. I think you need to embrace that. And then a few years later, when we had a rough spot in our youth ministry, he came alongside me, put his arm around me, and he said, Kyle, it is not about you performing for God that matters. What matters is that you're faithful to God. 
That's what's important to God. He just changed my whole perspective that I don't have to perform for God to be pleased with me. And it just changed my relationship with God. And I thank Steve for taking the time to invest in me that way. Relationships are the key to discipleship. And we see that in this passage. Timothy is who Timothy was and became because of the investment that Paul made in him. Now, the second fundamental we pick up in verse six. So we continue on in 2 Timothy chapter one. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I, just, I love the image that Paul gives us there in verse six about fanning into flame the gift of God. One of our favorite things to do in the summer, we have a little bonfire pit out in our backyard and it's to sit outside, roast marshmallows and have some s'mores with the kids. And I really enjoy it when the flames kind of die down and there's just a few of those embers that are left burning on the wood. And my son, Brooks, has kind of gotten into this thing with me. So we'll, we'll kind of gather around those embers and we'll try to find one that, that seems especially hot. And then we'll grab some kindling or some dry wood or maybe some dry leaves uh, and grass and we'll kind of pile it up right on that ember. And then we'll either blow on it or we'll, we'll get a magazine or something to kind of fan some air over it. And as that oxygen rushes into that ember, it's like the most rewarding thing when that, that kindling whoosh, catches fire and that, that spark grows into a flame. And that's the image that Paul is giving to us and to Timothy about how we need to approach our faith. Not enough just to have faith, you need to be growing in it. It needs to be coming greater within us. And that leads to that second fundamental of discipleship, and that is the idea of results. Now hang with me here about this idea of results. I'm not talking about things that we do for God. I'm not talking about ministry outcomes. I'm talking about what happens within us as we begin to grow in our relationship with God. Pastor Dale in this series spent two weekends walking us through the different stages of spiritual growth. So if you remember, we had this large wheel that he had us draw. And if you missed any of these messages, you can find them online. I would encourage you to go back. This is a great one. And it really helps us understand that each of us are at different stages in our spiritual life. All of us though, started at the very same place. All of us began being spiritually dead. That just means that we didn't have anything going on, spiritually speaking, that we were kind of like that fire without any sort of spark. Lots of potential, lots of kindling there, but nothing is going on. There's, there's, no, there's no energy, there's no, there's no movement. But at some point, at some point, we had an understanding of the offer that Jesus gives to us and that new relationship, the new deal that God wants. And at some point, those of us that are followers of Christ, we had a moment it may have been a very distinct moment. You remember the moment, you know, where you were, what date it was, what song was playing. Others of us, it's more like a season. You know, it was that first semester in college or that Bible study that you were involved in or that group that you were meeting with, that somehow in that season, you understood the offer that God has given to us and that you accepted it. And it's that moment that we refer to as being born again. And I'll just say this, if, if you're here this morning and that, that doesn't make sense to you, or you feel like, I, I definitely feel dead spiritually, but I don't know what this new offer is that you're speaking about, I would love to encourage you. After service, just come up front. We'll have some folks up here that would love to chat with you about that. that that's why we're here, is to help you understand this amazing offer that God gives to us. But that moment, that moment where we're born again, then we move into a stage of being a spiritual infant. 
And Dale mentioned to us that that is kind of like, you know, how we are humanly. That as an infant, you just, you have a lot of needs. You know, you need some people to come alongside you, to, to help you, to provide some guidance for you so you can grow and be safe. And it's a, it's a fun stage, but it's a stage that we just need a lot of encouragement if you're in that infant stage. And eventually you move through that infant stage and then you move into uh, like being a spiritual child. And that's kind of like being a child as a human, right? You, it's a great stage of growth and it's exciting and there's a lot of development going on. There's a, there's a great sense of independence that begins to emerge. And there's also a sense of being a little self-centered. It's kind of about us and our needs and our preferences and our wants. And hopefully we move past that stage, spiritually speaking, and if we do, then we move into what Pastor Dale mentioned was the stage of being a spiritual young adult. And that simply means that we begin to understand, like most young adults do, that life is kind of more than just us and that there's a purpose here and I have some uniqueness and, and that's, there's something that I can contribute and I can give back and I can be part of something that's greater than myself. It's not just about me. And eventually that will then continue to help somebody grow into becoming what we said is a spiritual parent. Keep in mind, there are no spiritual adults, it's spiritual parents. Because they're parenting, they're intentionally coming alongside others who need to help grow and develop in their faith as well. And so the challenge that Dale gave to us is that we need to identify where are we in terms of those stages of growth. And, and don't worry so much about what stage you're in, it's important to know that, but what's most important is that we're making progress through it, that we're not getting stuck in any one of those stages. And that's the results that I'm speaking about here. It's that we're making progress along our stages of spiritual growth. And what's gonna happen is there will be growing within us a sense of, and you can write this down, a sense of selflessness. There's a growing sense that it's not just about me, but it's about what God wants to do in me and through me that matters. And we start to look a whole lot more like Christ and a whole lot less like ourselves because we've had the result of growing sense of selflessness. That brings us to our third fundamental. And to find that one, we need to skip ahead. So we're gonna go all the way to chapter two of 2 Timothy and we'll start in verse one. Paul finishes the rest of the first chapter, what we call the first chapter of 2 Timothy uh, by sharing with him some stories and examples of people that basically have been un unloyal to Paul and walked away from him because he was imprisoned for his faith. And he's challenging Timothy, hey, don't do that yourself. I want you to remain steadfast and remain faithful. And uh, he rolls into that by by saying this in chapter two, verse one. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, verse two. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And that gives to us our third fundamental of discipleship. And that's the idea that discipleship involves a repeatable there we go, third, a repeatable process. That it's not just a one and done. That this is something that once we understand who God is and the relationship that we're supposed to have with him, we need to continue to pass that on to other people. And in the second uh, verse there, Paul gives us a great example. He says, okay, so Timothy, the things that you've heard me, Paul, say in the presence of many people, I need you, Timothy, to teach to reliable individuals who will also then be able to teach others. And it's this concept of this multiplying that continues to happen. Discipleship is a repeatable process, which is why it's so important for you and for me to not wait until we're at the spiritual parent stage to start discipling other people. 
And we can start as soon as we have an understanding of who Christ is, as soon as we've had that moment, that aha, that realization of the gift that God gives to us, we now, even if we're in the spiritual infant stage, can start helping others to grow in their faith. Because that's what discipleship is all about. That's how you and I can be on mission with one another is by intentionally helping others to grow. So those are the fundamentals. That's what it means for us to be disciples who make other disciples. We have to have all three of those fundamentals. So the question for us then is, well, how do we actually live out those fundamentals in the best way? And here at Wooddale, we are convinced that the best way for you to live out a disciple who helps to make other disciples is to do that within a group. That's the best place for this to happen. Now, some of you are thinking, what do you mean by a group? But what I mean by a group is what's gonna happen at our tailgate. We have all sorts of groups of all sorts of different sizes. They meet in different times, all sorts of different places, but they're groups where these elements of discipleship really start to emerge. In fact, if you look at the back of your service handout, you'll see all the different categories of groups that we have in the chapel at our tailgate. And that's why we want you to go and find out about how you can get into one of those groups. Now, for some of you, you may be thinking, okay, how's, that, how's a group gonna help me with that? Or for some of you, you may be saying, listen, I've done the group thing before and it just, it, it kind of didn't, didn't work that well or I didn't connect in the group. And if that's the case, here might be what's going on. There are four key plays that every group needs to run in order for these fundamentals of discipleship to actually occur. And you have to run all four plays. You can't leave one out. And so the reason that maybe it wasn't as effective as you were hoping, or if you're curious about how a group is gonna help you do that, it's in these four key plays that we would also refer to as, as kind of our four group values. Here they are. The first is that groups that really live out this idea of discipleship are groups that help individuals to connect. When we say connect, we're talking about connecting in relationships that extend beyond the formal group meeting time. It's not that you just see each other when your group meets, it's that your relationships begin to form and strengthen so that you meet outside of that normal group time as well. In fact, I love hearing stories here at Wooddale about people that have found those relational connections and they don't wait for a sanctioned church event to be able to see each other. They're just relationships that have emerged beyond that. The second value or second play that groups need to run in order for discipleship to occur is they have to be focused on the spiritual growth of the people within their group. They have to be seeing this resulting of the increase of selflessness that begins to occur, that people are making progress along those different stages of growth. I think one of the best groups we have here at Wooddale Church that helps people in that idea of growth is our Celebrate Recovery group. They meet on Tuesday nights and they're for folks that have just kind of got stuck in a situation in life. CR is for anybody that has hurts, habits, or hangups, and that is all of us. And CR is like, hey, wherever you're at and whatever situation in life you're facing, we're gonna help you move further and forward in your faith because of that situation and not let you get stuck in that situation. They're focused on growth. And that's true for a lot of our groups here at the church. Now, it's not enough just for groups to, to like each other and to be growing. Those are important, but they're not enough. So the third play that the groups have to run is the idea of being able to serve. And that's serve both inside the group as well as serve outside the group. I was reminded about this importance a few years ago at our Idana campus. We had a group that formed fast. Some really good connections were there. A member of the group members actually came to faith. They had that born again experience as a result of that group. But the group kind of stalled out after a few months. It just kind of got a little stagnant. 
And in talking with the group leader, he said, you know, I think the problem is, is that we're not serving. And so he went back to the group and challenged them and said, hey, I think this is our next step. We need to start serving. And the group said, well, I'll serve if you serve. And the, group, the other group members said, well, I'll serve if you serve. And they all kind of made it, hey, let's do this thing together. And they did. And it was incredible to watch the spiritual growth and the accelerating spiritual growth of different individuals as they stepped into a lifestyle of service. They started realizing life was more than just themselves and great breakthroughs happened as a result. Now, the fourth and the final play that groups need to run is the idea that they are helping each other to intentionally engage those who don't yet have a relationship with God. And that sense of engagement is a story that comes from one of our groups from about a year and a half ago. There was a group that was meeting and one of the guys in the group was having a party, some people over to his house. So he invited his life group. But he said, here's the deal. When you come to the life group meeting, I want you to bring with you somebody who doesn't go to church, like a non-church person. And we're not gonna do anything weird at the house or like this is just like a normal party, a very non-threatening environment. We're not doing a Bible study or anything like that. We simply just wanna be able to introduce them to some of our church friends. And if they happen to ask us how we know each other, then we'll just mention that, you know, it was from church and we'll just kind of see what happens. And they did it. And it was so great hearing the stories from the group members who would come back to the group and they were saying like, yeah, like people were pulling me aside or, or following up with me and being like, so how, how, do you, how do you know all these people again? And you guys all seem to like each other. Where, where'd you guys all meet one another? Church, like you guys met at church? Like, tell me, tell me more about that. And the group was really excited about it. But it was because the group came together and they said, hey, we're gonna do something that's gonna stretch us out of our comfort zone because we, need to know, we know we need to do this to help grow in our faith. But it's something that we just normally wouldn't do by ourselves. So those are the four plays that groups need to run. And in order for a group to be effective, all four have to happen. So if you're in a group right now and you're like, hey, you know what? We're not doing all four of these. Then I wanna encourage you to either help the group make a change to be living out those group values or honestly get in another group because we need to be disciples who make disciples. And that best happens when we're in that type of an environment. Now, I don't want you just to take my word for the benefit of being part of a group. We actually sat down with a number of Wooddalers who have benefited from being in a group. And they shared with us a little bit of their story and how it's helped them. And we got it on film and I wanna share their story with you now. So watch this. I've been coming to Wooddale for five years. <laughs> so I have been at Wooddale practically my whole life. When I got married, um, I was 22, and we wanted to get really involved at Wooddale right away. And one of the best ways to do that was to get involved with a life group. For me, what uh, motivated me to get involved in, in uh, a life group is uh, to be uh, able to connect with people. When I had moved back to Minnesota and came to Wooddale and needed to plug in beyond that, and I saw life groups were an option, so I joined a life group because I was like, oh, that would be a, a great way to meet, you know, a handful of people, then I'll at least know some faces when I do come to church. I have found that having Christian community builds me up in my life in following Christ. Um, being with other individuals gives me a different perspective to think about things differently. And beyond just my personal walk with Christ, um, it's really rewarding to be able to do life with other people. 
when we do the, the discussions, it's, it's incredible which each one of the members has to say, and I appreciate listening to them. And also, I'm not the one who really likes to say things, but, but uh, listening to them, it encourages me to, to go and say a few things too. And that's, that's, that's why the group has really you know, helped me a lot in that respect. Uh, we started and uh, it was just a few people meeting at a coffee shop. Then that got too crowded and so we, we moved to an apartment. And after nine months or so, it got too big. And as we continue to invite more people in, um, we're just recognizing people who, who fit the role of leader as well. And so encouraging them afterwards to start the next life group. When it gets too big, we'll multiply into, into more life groups. And just being around people um, is gonna cause you to grow. I had a time in my life where someone I loved very, very much and was very close to me had a severe chemical dependency problem. I brought it to my life group and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and God just answered that prayer in a way that none of us would ever have expected. I am just so grateful that God put those faithful people in my life. You're looking for uh, answers for life, for um, what God has for you, and, and the best way to experience that is with other people. I would say that if you're thinking about doing a life group, do it. A couple there, they've become very, very close friends, and I would have never known them had I not done a life group, and now they're the godparents of my children. It, it's been an amazing experience, the way we have supported one another, prayed for one another, loved one another, affirmed one another. It's, it's just been a wonderful experience. Now, it would be far too easy for us to sit here this morning and see those stories, hear this message and go, ah, you know what, I'm glad that works for some people, but that's, that's not for me. And, and some of us may be sitting here and going, you know, like, I just, I, I think that's too soon. I don't think I'm ready to get in a group. I'm just not far enough along in my spiritual journey to, to be taking that next step. Or you may be saying to yourself, you know what, this is just not me. It's like not my personality. That's not how I connect with folks. Or, or, or maybe I'd love to do this, but we just don't have time. Like, like, let me show you my calendar. I just can't fit this in. And if you're in any one of those situations or any other hesitation about kind of getting forward and moving into what God is calling us to this, I want to remind us about a passage of scripture that we, we, we touched on this morning, but let me, let me reread it. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God has called you and I into this life of discipleship. Jesus has so clear all throughout scripture that this is what his call for you and I is to be, that we are to go and make disciples. And God has ordained this and has put people in your life for you to connect with, for you to share those, that hope of him with. This is his plan. This is, the, this is the game that he has asked Wooddale to step into, that he's asked you and I to step into as followers of him. But when Christ calls us into discipleship, 
He doesn't ask us to do it on our own. Jesus is abundantly clear that his promise is to be with us for always. And Paul tells us that God gives, that God gives us his spirit. That it's not us trying to do this on our own strength and our own power, but it's God's spirit living in us and working through us. And so God's spirit will give to us the power to do this. This is the next step for all of us. It's that power that comes from the good news of the gospel. Even if you don't feel like this is how you connect with people, it's God's spirit that will grant you his love to be able to connect with folks in this way. And if you feel like you don't have the time, it's God's spirit that will help you with the self-discipline to find time, to make time in your schedule because we schedule what our priorities are. And that, that was us, that was our situation. When my wife and I moved from our Edina campus over here a little over a year ago, we, we were just in a situation where we were like, listen, I, I don't know how we're gonna do the life group thing. And we kind of stepped out of our group there and it just got really convenient not to have another thing on our calendar. But we felt like we were missing something. Like, like there was a gap spiritually that we just, we weren't kind of all there. And we realized it was because the life group was missing and that we needed to be in that and have that group challenging us in that way. And we looked at our calendar and we said, I don't know how we're gonna find time. And we sat down and we said, you know what, let's pray about it. And we did. And God revealed to us, gave us some wisdom about some things that we could do and changes that we could make. And so we're one of the life groups that's out there in that tailgate that you can sign up and be part of because we're committed to this, just like God is calling each of us to step into these environments. Here's how I know this is so important. This letter that we've been reading this morning is the very last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that we, that we have record of. And Paul wrote it while he was imprisoned in Rome for the second time, and he was sitting there waiting for his execution. Paul knew that the end of his life was imminent, that it was almost over, and that the end of all things, think about the Apostle Paul and all that he did. He, he started churches all throughout the known world. He wrote half of our New Testament. And at the end of all of that, what Paul thinks matters the most, what deserves the attention, is for him to communicate to Timothy, his disciple, Timothy, Keep going, keep making more disciples. That's what matters the most. More people need to hear about Jesus. More people need to know about the love that God has for them. And his plan is for you and I to continue on to share that news. If Paul thinks that is what's most important, so should we. Don't wait until the end of our life to realize that that's what this is all about. So the question isn't, is this our next step? It, it's our next step. The question, that we have this morning is, are you and I gonna be timid? Or are we gonna step out in faith to what God is calling us to and to what the power that His Spirit has given to us? And so we think it's appropriate to give us a chance to respond to God in that way. So this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna give us an opportunity to sing a song of declaration Letting God know that we're stepping out into something that, that's unknown, stepping out into something that, that might be a little frightening at times, but we're stepping it out because God is calling us to be disciples who are committed to making other disciples. And we need to let him know that we're ready to get in the game.